Good day. You're tuned into the 73rd edition of Free City Radio. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph in Montreal. Thank you for being with us. On the program today, um, we are going to be hearing from Mohamed Dia Hamemi, who is a Tunisian PhD student um, and progressive activist, currently based at Syracuse University, where he is doing uh, work around social movements in uh, within Tunisia and uh, specifically focused on labor unions. I thought that it would be important to get uh, a longer sort of critical perspective about the current political situation in Tunisia. There's been mass protests over recent weeks about uh, the usurping of democracy that's taken place, um, the cutting out of parliament in decision-making processes. There's been mass protests about this. Um, it did get some coverage uh, within the mainstream press globally for a few days, but it hasn't continued. So I wanted to sort of take a bit of a deeper dive into the shortcomings of economic policy since the Tunisian revolution um, that, of course, launched protests across the region in Egypt, in uh, Yemen, in Syria, and beyond. Um, in Tunisia, there was not a significant shift in terms of economic policy, uh, despite there being gains in regards to personal freedoms. So this is really a question of neoliberal economics and um, sort of the contradictions between uh, the expression of personal rights that does exist constitutionally now in Tunisia, but the lack of economic rights and economic justice. So the conversation gets into detail about this and gives some context and background going back to the era of uh, the dictatorship of Ben Ali. Um, so thank you to Mohammed for being on the program today. And here's our conversation. So uh, my name is Mohammed Hamimi. Um I'm a political science researcher, currently doing my PhD in Syracuse University in New York. Um, I've been working on uh, economic issues and social issues in Tunisia uh, since the first years of the revolution. I was involved in several um, social movements. I worked as a journalist covering um, critically the uh, IMF and World Bank reform that were implemented in the first years um, following the fall of the Ben Ali regime. Uh, but later on, I switched to more academic research, focusing on more specifically elite dynamics in Tunisia and the, the relationship between business elites and um, political elites in today's Tunisia. So I think often there's an understanding of the ways that democratic rights and the protests against the dictatorship of Ben Ali in Tunisia uh, took place. Uh, within the context of the protests that overthrew the government. But what's not often understood is the ways that neoliberal economic policies were connected to what happened and, and the ways that the current uh, political situation in Tunisia is really um, related from what I understand. Uh, please share your thoughts, of course, to the fact that there were changes on a sort of structural level in terms of um, 
reforms around democratic rights, but there was no uh, reform in terms of economic policy and sort of the neoliberal relationship between Tunisia and the European Union. Sure. Um, so as you said, um, when Ben Ali had access to power in 1987, Tunisia was in the middle of the implementation of structural adjustment programs um, led by the IMF and the World Bank. Um, the philosophy of development during the last years of Bourguiba was still influenced by the status, development status, a tradition uh, of the post-colonial era. When Ben Ali had access to power, um, he appointed a minister of economy who was much more uh, friendly with, with American uh, tradition uh, and more specifically uh, with neoliberal, uh, with neoliberal emerging ideas of the 80s. Um, to accelerate the implementation of the reforms. Um, after a first period of time during which the reforms were implemented, he switched to uh, the acceleration of privatization. Um, so during the second five years of Ben Ali's rule, the number of uh, privatization per year increased from five to 15 companies per year. And during the same period of time, we saw the rise of his in-laws, uh, who don't come from an elite family, but through their connection with Ben Ali, managed to have access uh, to wealth. Um, progressively, there was a discontent from uh, not only the impact of the economic policies on the masses, but also uh, the historically established bourgeoisie felt uncomfortable with the competition of the troubled seas. So just just to just to clarify, when you talk about privatization during this uh, era, can you maybe just specify a few sectors that were impacted and, and, and how that impacted social and economic rights, just briefly, so people can get a bit of a tangible social picture? Sure, exactly. So um, in the Tunisian state before the first wave of privatization uh, was present in almost every single sector. Um, and that was one of the arguments that the IMF used, that the state is not supposed to be in every sector. Um, but the, the state-owned company played a regulatory um, role, uh, in, including in price settings. So basically, uh, for example, we had Magasin General, which is a retail uh, uh, chain, and it was they had one in every single region, and they would kind of sell um, everything at a price that is not very low, uh, but a reasonable margin of profit. And, and this kind of mechanism was coercing uh, other private actors to to reduce their, their margin of profit. Um, when that kind of system of regulation disappeared, um, and at the same time, um, companies were privatized, uh, people were directly affected. So first of all, uh, a large number of the privatized companies went bankrupt shortly after their privatization. Um, and 
when that happened, many people lost their jobs. Um, the other factor is the deregulation of the economy. So prices are no, the state does not have the, uh, the, the power that had before to kind of control and lower um, prices. Although even during the, the earlier period, there were problems of inflation. I don't want to claim that there were no problems, but there were. Um, the additional problem was that there were, those are the same time, a demographic dynamic, meaning uh, Tunisia is becoming the, the proportion of young Tunisians among the, the, the working class became significant. And the government did not have employment policies uh, that were um, able to absorb all that mass of new workers. Um, it adopted the same usual uh, active employment policies that are usually implemented in countries with an already low um, level of unemployment, like uh, something around one digit. Uh, in Tunisia, the, uh, the historical level of unemployment was high. It was around 15% fluctuating between more and less 3%. Now we are at 15, 18%. Uh, this, this, quarter. Is, this is during which years? This is well, historically, the, the, it was always the same. Mm -hmm. It was always fluctuating, even during the colonial period. So if we go back to documents from the colonial period, we find that the, the colonial administration was complaining about that. But the adoption of the active employment policies, the, the one that just focused on the market mismatch, um, were adopted starting from the also the uh, late 80s. Um, and if they had only a marginal effect on unemployment, um, so th they were helping people to get internships to have just to have a professional experience, and and, and that's it. And well, or, or some of subsidized uh, private sector jobs that are very precarious and and not sustainable. Um, and this, and this is taking place in the context of sort of a wave of privatization uh, of public institutions and sort of growing profits of uh, the extended family of Ben Ali and uh, political uh, affiliates. Exactly. And in addition to that, um, there was a beginning or a deepening of financial liberalization, meaning uh, during the until the 80s, uh, must, the, the state had a predominant presence in the financial sector. So in terms of allocation of loans and resources, the state played an important role. But during that same period of time, Benali's uh, access to power and implementation of, of, uh, of IMF program, um, there was development of private, uh, privately owned bank who became later on extremely influential and who are today the most profitable companies uh, in the country uh, with unreasonable, unreasonably high uh, rate of return per year in comparison with, with, the, with the average um, rate of growth in the country. Uh, they, they make uh, more than three digits. Um, uh, both per year while the economy is stagnating at 1% or sometimes even lower. Um, and, and so that also happened during this period of liberalization. Uh, the withdrawal from the state of the state, um, not only from regulation, but also from property. 
um, and both are interrelated. Um, in the, the social contestation started emerging in the late 2000s. Um, the uh, regime was not able to uh, handle well the economic problems that um, started emerging and end up using repression as a form of control. Uh, but, but that connection well, that connection you're drawing between repression and the economic problems i just want to underline that uh the emergence of mass police and also intelligence service repression um maybe just people don't see that connection mm -hmm. so yeah mm -hmm. yeah and although that that was also that's a historical factor so for example um in the late 70s which we call in tunisia so in the 70s, Tunisia started adopting liberalizing uh, policies, but not neoliberal, meaning market-oriented policies, opening of the country to foreign capital. And that led to a confrontation between the government and the, and the union, a strong labor union. That was at that time under the control of the one party. And in 87, um, we had the, ve the very first nationwide general strike that led to a massive repression of the labor union. Um, we call that, we call it the Black Thursday uh, in, in, in January 1978. Uh, um, so the security apparatus and, and, and actually the army was deployed for the very first time during that period of time. It was followed by the bread uh, uh, revolt or bread riots in the in the early 80s it happened in other countries in the region like Egypt for example probably people are more familiar with it and it was also um, the, the contestation of the removal of subsidies was followed by uh, a repression um, in, in in the late period of Ben Ali I'm referring more specifically to two movements um, the mining era revolt um, people in um, uh, in, um, who are located in the region where phosphate has been produced um, massively since the uh, colonial period without really significant local development. Um, historically, uh, unemployment or, or the, the labor was absorbed by um, the phosphate company, but again, during the 80s, during the uh, structural adjustment, um, they redefined the role of the of the of the um, phosphate com uh, phosphate company. It was no longer involved in in in, in uh, provision of services, public services at the local level, and even more than that, they modernized its functioning, including forms of new machines and sophistication of the of the of the, of the process processes of production that led to a massive reduction of the workforce of that company and as a result of a high unemployment in that region. In 2008, um, there was a problem of recruitment in that company and that and it led to a revolt. Uh, again, initially it was against corruption in the recruitment process, but then it turned into an entire regime, um, uh, entire regime uh, revolt that from where we saw the the, the slogan um, uh, employment freedom national dignity which became later on uh, the slogan of the revolution 
and it was adopted uh, in, in, in other revol revolution and revolts in the region in 2011. Um, th this revolt was faced by uh, strong repression from uh, Ben Ali regime. Another one happened as well in the borderland um, with Libya in 2009, um, also faced by repression. Uh, and finally, 2010, uh, December 2010, and led to the fall of Ben Ali regime. And there was also um, uh, massive repression, and more than 200 people were killed during the revolutions. It's always important to mention that because people tend to talk about the Fusion Revolution as being peaceful. Well, yeah, in the in the first days of protest, the massive repression um, took the lives of workers, students, and yeah, that's thank you so much for for highlighting that. So, um, people often talk about the last um, decade in Tunisia as sort of a successful example of the um, protests in North Africa and West Asia, as it's usually highlighted. I mean, it's a very shorthand and um, simplistic way of looking at things. But I think that the recent few months in Tunisia have illustrated some of the ways that these historic economic issues were never really addressed in the post Ben Ali period. Can you just maybe highlight a few points as to how this is the case and why it's important to understand? Yes. So during the last years of Ben Ali regime, uh, the opposition parties, most of them were banned, started organizing. Um, but their demand back then was a minimum level of freedom uh, so they can organize politically. Um, so when the revolution happened, uh, they were not ready. Uh, the discussion on uh, what should be done after revolution were not part of the discussions among um, the opposition of the Ali regime. So when they had access to power, just took what was on the table, which was what Ben Ali left. So basically, if we look at uh, the economic programs of most political parties uh, who end up being elected in 2011, it is very similar, extremely similar to um, Ben Ali's uh, electoral program of 2009 and um, extremely similar as well to the uh, country assistance framework of the World Bank of that uh, five years. Um, what happened uh, at the same time is that the system of planning was was uh, definitively interrupted. Um, so we don't have a strategic planning or any form of planning and anymore. Although to be clear, and the Benali, it was not planning uh, in the socialist sense. Some people would call it planning for liberalization. So basically, just setting a timeline for what which sector would be privatized, but that helped in terms of uh, non-market co coordination uh, of action in, in the economy, um, kind of sending uh, the right uh, signal and kind of transparency about the economic reform. Anyway, um, so uh, so like I said, the uh, ruling parties um, after 2011, uh, the ruling elite more generally, not just political parties, because the number of executive member of the executive branch of the government after 2011, um, who, are, who, don't, who are not from a party background increased significantly in comparison with Ben Ali and Bourguiba's period, where usually uh, ministers are from the party um, and subscribe to some minimum level of 
of uh, ideological orientation. Um, since 2011, we saw an increased number of, of supposedly technocrats, people, people who do not have any experience in, in either policy or politics or uh, who find themselves just implementing reforms that are designed elsewhere. Um, so the, unlike what is commonly said, uh, there were so many uh, reforms uh, after 2011, but they were still following the same uh, logic as the reform that were adopted under Ben Ali. And so it is obvious and it's very reasonable that it led to the same results, a high discontent and a continuation of the increase of level of social contestation um, in uh, starting, that intensified actually starting from 2013, uh, which was uh, coincides with um, a new with a new wave of, I, of IMF agreements um, that were uh, signed uh, since uh, we're negotiating starting from 2011, but starting the enforcement started in 2013, and that what also led to the main difference. However, with other countries of the region, uh, where we see the implementation of neoliberal uh, policies um, backed by the IMF or, or implemented with the use of force and authoritarian regime is that um, in Tunisia there was, uh, we had a space of organization and contestation. Um, some protests were uh, repressed, yes, uh, but comparatively with the rest of the countries in the region, it's undeniable that we gained a lot from the from the revolution. Uh, the level, the minimum level of of freedom that uh, the uh, political opposition of Ben Ali was expecting was reached, uh, but that allowed not only the political elites to organize to have access to power, uh, yeah, but also it allowed uh, grassroots activists and, and and labor organizers, whether they are affiliated to UGT or not. Um, to even adopt um, radical form of contestation. And see here, when we talk about contestation, I'm not talking about uh, bureaucratized strikes that are organized through negotiation with, between the union and, and, and the government and the, and, the, and the private sector. I'm talking about uh, spontaneous strikes, um, uh, forms of contestation that even reaches uh, that initially which are the rise of road blockades. So how would people who are unemployed contest and put pressure on the on the government when they don't when they don't have a job to or, or when when they don't they don't belong to a political party or or they, they don't know how to have access to political actors. They 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 block roads to kind of disrupt um the 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 economy and the way things uh, work. And then it evolved into production disruption. Um, so in, we saw that uh, significantly in the, in the southern part of the country, uh, historically militarized region where oil has been extracted since the 60s without any distribution at the regional level. Um, so locals decided to, uh, to fight for um, a share of for this for distribution of the income coming from oil and gas production, plus the gas, um, and they the, and they used um, 
They simply went to the oil valve and they closed it to put pressure on it. So public and disrupt basically transportation of the produced gas. Um, and that was that uh, that put a lot of pressure on the government that end up making significant concessions uh, to uh, these protesters. And an authoritarian regime, uh, whether military that relies on, on the military like in Egypt and Sisi or or in, in, in or intelligence like in Jordan, uh, such uh, forms of mobilization are are uh, impossible. Uh, we also saw other um, interesting stories of uh, people taking over um, even state property to to match. So when all started story of the of the oasis of Jimna and the dates oasis in the south. Uh, that was historically owned by um, during the, during the pre-colonial period. It was local. It was owned by by local tribes, uh, and then the, the colonial state took it. Uh, and then after the independence, uh, it was it remained owned by the post-colonial state, but it was rented every year um, to uh, wealthy people who were able to kind of benefit from the profit. So what happened? after the revolution is that locals just took over that land and started managing the production by them themselves and distributing the profits to uh, local actors uh, funding local hospitals uh, schools uh, that even which is ironic even the, the the police local police i always say local police meaning local branch of the centralized police started asking them for for, for money because uh they were, they were, because they had significant um, level of profit that they were able to use to make, to to uh, invest in local development in an unprecedented way. Um, so these, all these forms of mobilization, are impossible again in the authoritarian regime. Thanks for detailing those. Um, there's so much to look at there, but I guess at a certain point from what I understand, um, this mobilization for economic and social rights was cut off by what has happened recently. But somehow there's a manipulation going on in terms of the political rhetoric of quote unquote inaction of uh, the political process. And somehow this um, sort of usurping of democratic rights will create uh, sort of a, a speed a quick access to re- quote unquote needed reforms. Um, yeah, just could you could you break down what's happening now? Um, thank you. Sure. So um, in July twenty fifth, um, President Kais Saeed, um, who um, was elected uh, in two thousand and nineteen. Um, who does not belong to any political party, um, had a meeting with uh, senior internal security officers and military officers uh, and decided to uh, simply shut down the parliament, um, dismiss the the executive uh, and monopolize both legislative and um, executive powers while according to the constitution, usually in normal situation, 
uh, the prerogative of the president will be limited to foreign policy and defense, nothing else. Um, so he took over basically in um, in what is described usually in, acad in academic research on civil military relations as a self-coup, which is a sub-form of coup. So that's why we should call it a coup because it is simply, even in terms of typology, it is a coup. Um, and um, Many people supported him and were happy. Uh, and until now, uh, his popularity is still high because they think that he will make, he will present um, some change that they were expecting. So the level of optimism among Tunisians today is back to the same level as, as it was in 2016, which is not, which is not a long time ago. Um, so and and um, but during the first day, starting from the first days, um, he started showing uh, signs that he was not really ready to dismantle the system as people um, uh, expected him to do. Um, he started inviting uh, wealthy and, and notoriously corrupt business people. Um, asking them to help him to reduce prices by reducing their margin of profit. Um, he openly made a statement saying that there will be no confiscation or anything uh, under his rule. Uh, in all the, uh, this would be a significant contrast with what happened just after the revolution, where members of the Ben Ali family um, were, were the assets owned by members of Ben Ali family were, were confiscated by the state. Um, so he said, I'm not going to do that. Um, and he started even praising them, calling them uh, uh, national capitalists and, and patriotic capitalists. And, and so these are the early negative signs that we saw that it doesn't, it's not, doesn't seem that he's ready to, to, to challenge um, the uh, established oligarchical networks um, that... Um, were there for, for, for decades and if not centuries, uh, who monopolize uh, so many activities, but wealth uh, more importantly and capital in the country. Um, and, and as a result, have a de facto political power. Um, they are not elected. They don't belong, they don't belong to the visible political um, uh, elite that people are discontented from, uh, what they are with. Um, but they have significant power over um, economic reforms and the orientation of the economic reforms. Um, like I said earlier, um, they are the ones who benefited from the IMF um, policies um, that led to kind of deepening of the financialization of the, of the country and an acceleration of the accumulation process in the banking sector, in the financial sector, in contrast with the real economy. So, um, they preserve the status quo. Um, in terms of contestation, initially in, in July, we saw a slight decrease in the number of, of um, uh, protests. But in September, uh, the number of protests spiked again, reaching uh, a level that is higher than September 2020 and September 2029. Um, he capitalized on... Um, in order to, to, to justify his coup, he capitalized on the discontent from the government um, reaction to uh, the COVID crisis. 
that people were dying and hospitals were were, were were overwhelmed, which is something that happened in almost in large number of countries. Um, and and even if we look at at um, surveys on a level of the this level of um, dissatisfaction from um, the public health services, we see that it actually preceded COVID, that this is something persistent. persistent. Um, things were deteriorating during the last years because of the uh, lack of investment uh, in, um, in the um, uh, health sector. Um, and so he, he capitalized on that and um, and made his tool. Uh, but now, as I said, the social mobilization is back again. Um, he decided recently to um, start official negotiations with the IMF, um, another round of negotiations. Um, and the union is already, the strong central union, um, is already expressing uh, its disagreement with the IMF um, orientation. Uh, in fact, they expect him or they want him to uh, enforce um, bilateral agreements that were done between the government and UGDT during the last years that would lead to an increase of the, of the wage bill while the IMF is, is calling for the total opposite. Um, so I that's why I don't think that Said um, will be able to preserve um, the level of popularity he had um, or he built up again in, in July 25th. Um, he's following the same steps um, uh, as his as previous uh, political elites um, in terms of economic reforms, and he's taking even worse decisions when it comes to the preservation of the level of uh, freedom and the political institution that were built uh, after 2011 uh, that um, allow um, contestation to organize and to be radical sometimes. That was a conversation with Mohamed Dia Hamemi, uh, who is a researcher and a PhD student at Syracuse University. Um, I wanted to get the opportunity to share a voice that could give some more context and background to the current protests in Tunisia and a critical take on economic policy in relation to social justice and lack of economic inequality in Tunisia that has persisted since the uprising in 2011. So uh, thank you, Mohamed, for taking the time to really share and um, give us some insights that I think are hard to gather in a quick news report. So I want to also thank my friend Safa for uh, helping arrange this interview. And to finish the program today, I'll go to a piece of music by a great Tunisian composer and uh, oud player Anwar Brahem. This has been Free City Radio. I'm Stefan Christoph in Montreal. Uh, we share two new episodes a week. Uh, please tell a friend if you uh, connect with what you're hearing on the program. Uh, it's a big effort. I just work on this solo. So any support in spreading the word is super appreciated. Um, so I'll talk to you soon. And here's a piece from Anwar Braham. 
Thanks again to Muhammad for being on the show. Take care, everybody.